And I hope that's what you've come to do today is just worship and adore God. How many of you know this about God? God is the best thing that has ever happened in your life. There's no denying that. God is the best thing that has ever happened. Thank you for entering into that time of worship with us. You can be seated. Hey, and while you're being seated, would you give our great band a hand? Don't they do an awesome job every week just leading us and worshiping God? I'm so glad you're here, and I can't tell you how excited I am about this new series that we're involved in starting today, The Heart of Christmas, The Heart of Christmas. What's at the heart of Christmas? We're going to answer that question over these next few weeks, on the 4th, 11th, and 18th. And then don't forget, on Christmas Day, you get everybody here you can. It's going to be an amazing day. We'll just have that one-hour service. I was just sharing my enthusiasm for specifically this message with some of my family yesterday. Uh, a lot of you know that in September of this year, September the 18th, matter of fact, my, my dad passed away, and I, I miss him so much. In fact, yesterday, when I walked out uh, of the house early, it, this thought just hit me. The very first person every year that ever calls me for my birthday is my dad, and I knew that this year I would not be getting that call, and I miss him. That was September the 18th, he passed away. Now, my parents have been divorced a long t- time since I was actually uh, 14 years of age. Uh, it was, so, you know, mom's lived in Atlanta, dad's lived in uh, Valdosta, Georgia, if you've heard of Valdosta. Well, so uh, three days after my dad passed away, I get a call from my sister. She's the only sibling. There's four of us who lives in Atlanta. And she said, hey, Jeff, mom is just being diagnosed with Louis, what they call Louis body dementia. And it's, you know, nobody wants to have dementia. It's a, it's a tragic, tragic disease. But uh, Louis body is like an extreme version of it in many respects with um, you know, hallucinations and vivid um, uh, dreams and such. It's very complex and it's very sad. And so we've just found some things that we've agreed upon that rather than just be totally, uh, you know, demoralized and depressed about mom's condition, we're going we're gonna to love her and support her. And, and then we're going to, you know, just laugh at some of the funny things she does. In fact, right after she was diagnosed, some of you know this, um, my sister talked to me and, you know, they give me, my siblings sometimes do, um, you know, a little bit of grief saying, you're the fair-haired boy, and I'm not fair-haired, I'm dark-haired, as you know. But they're like, hey, you're the fair-haired boy and mama's boy and all of that. I'm the oldest. And so my sister, who is the only sibling there, she called me and she said, hey, just thought you would like knowing something. I said, what's that? And um, she said, uh, well, mom's been laying in the bed. In her mind, she's been on the phone with you, and she just keeps saying, I know, Jeff, I, I know, Jeff, and mama loves you too. And, and I thought, well, that was really sweet. And so, you know, I could tell with the attitude my sister said it. And I said, well, what did she say to you, Debbie? And she said, well, Mom then looked at me and said, Debbie, you dummy, why are you doing drugs? So, uh, you know, it's like, you know, Mom being taken care of. And, and uh, so her and I laughed about it. We've got a great relationship, my sister and I do. And, and then uh, I was talking to her, and she said, yeah, I went over to Mom's, checked on her. How's Mom doing? And she said, well, and again, I could tell something was up. I just knew knew my sister well enough. She said, I went to the house, and Mom was sitting at a table, and she was just doing a lot of writing. And I said, "Uh, Mom, what are you doing? She said, well, I'm over here, and I'm just writing down the names of all of my kids. 
And my sister said, well, that's, that's great, Mom. That's good. I'm glad you're doing that. I'm sure for my mom, she's taking some memory exercise or whatever. And so uh, Debbie, a few moments later, walked over, and she looked at her, and she said, Jeff, I'm not kidding. I looked at her paper. The only name on the paper was yours, and she had written it many, many, many times. And I'm like, oh, Debbie, I, I can't help it. What do, what do I say? You know, and so I've been having fun. I'm here in Florida doing nothing, really. And she's up there taking care of Mom, and I just get that kind of treatment from Mom. But uh, I called, uh, I say all that to say this, I called yesterday, just wanted, my sister was there, and so we're FaceTiming, my aunt was there, and so I'm talking to my mom, I'm telling them how excited I am uh, about the message series and what we're going to be doing in today's talk, I was giving a little bit of detail, and, and I'm into this for about two minutes, and I look, it's FaceTime, and my mom has gone sound asleep, she's just... And I thought, I'm in trouble. If everybody in church does that on Sunday, you know, I lost a little bit of my enthusiasm. What if that were to happen? Everybody in both services, then I'm in big, big trouble. But I hope to keep you awake. That's what I plan on, plan on doing. By the way, with all of the red that you're wearing, I actually feel like I'm, I'm in the stadium with a bunch of Georgia Bulldog fans. I do. And like I'm at a bowl game. Now, of course, this year it'd be a lower tier bowl, so, you know, like real low, but I still feel, and I know it's a great act of sacrifice and love for those of you who are like Gators and, you know, other teams, and you wore red today. So uh, I see this, and you look incredible in your red. Just thought that ought to be said. Well, it's December. Can you believe it? It is December already. And we're beginning this new Christmas message series, and I hope that you plan on being here every single week. I would imagine that most of you are already thinking a lot about gifts. I know that's happening around our house, and a lot of shopping I heard take place yesterday, and to which I will later find out, I'm sure, when I check online banking. But apparently, Christmas shopping has begun. People are thinking about gifts. Why? Because it's a big part of the Christmas season. And stores know this. It's why, why we have days like come to be known as Black Friday. How many of you happen to venture out on Black Friday? Let me just see your hand. You went out among the masses. And so we have things like Black Friday and, and Cyber Monday. And, and you probably created your list, and your budget, your plan, and the gifts that you're going to buy. Why? Christmas is a time of gift giving. Now, do you know what the very first Christmas gift ever given actually was. And I know what we typically go to, it's sort of our knee-jerk response. We say, yeah, the very first Christmas gift, well, that's easy. And coming into our brain is the idea of the wise men and how that they go to little baby Jesus while he's in the manger, and they take these special gifts, as one little boy who was slightly confused said, and the wise men brought to Jesus gifts of gold, Frankenstein, and myrtle. Well, it wasn't quite that, but they brought gifts. But that's not the very first Christmas gift. Do you know what the very first Christmas gift ever was? It was actually a gift, God's greatest gift that God could ever give to the world. And you know what God gave to the world? God gifted this world with Jesus. It's the greatest gift that could ever be given. It was the first Christmas gift given. God gave, and that gift was his son. So God gifted Jesus to the world, and then as we know, Jesus did not stay a baby. He grew up and became a man, and as a man, then Jesus actually, think about this gift, he actually gave himself. He gave himself as a living sacrifice for you and for me, and he went to a cross, and he died in our place, and he paid off our sin debt in full so that we could be saved, so that we could be born again, 
so that one day we could spend eternity with God in heaven and know that while we are here on earth, the Holy Spirit is with us every moment of every day. So Jesus is the very first Christmas gift, and you and I only have the capacity to be able to give because God gave to us first. And when God gave to us first, God gave to us his very very best. I want you to read this verse with me. We're going to look at a lot of verses today, but read this verse with me, everybody. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, in in the future, in this talk, and there's going to be several times, I'm going to ask you to read with me, and, and then I have this crazy illusion that you'll actually do that. So, you know, Let's do it again because I hope the pattern we're going to set right now is going to be the pattern you're going to carry out for about the next 35 minutes. So let's try it again. It's up here on the screen. Help me out, everybody. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, you cannot talk about Christmas in a sincere way without talking about generosity because the spirit of Christmas is exactly that. The spirit of Christmas is the spirit of generosity. I want to ask you a question. Hear me now. Is God generous? What do you think? Talk to me. Is God generous? Absolutely, God is generous. We know that in every way, in every good thing that you and I have experienced and encountered in our life, every good thing that has ever happened to us has come because God is gracious and because God is generous. I mean, you think about the air that we breathe, and we don't think about it nearly enough. We don't walk around. I don't. Perhaps you don't, where we just say, God, thank you. Right now, with my lungs, I'm breathing air, and this is air that you have provided, and it is a gift because you're a generous God. But you think about it. The ability to be able to breathe is, is a gift from God. Why? Because God is generous. God is generous and given to us. Think about your body. Your body is the net result of God being generous. The scriptures are clear that what God did is God actually put you together. I love the way one translation says it, that God put you together. He knit you together in your mother's womb. Every complex detail concerning your body, from every the blood that is coursing through your veins and arteries, your skeletal structure, your muscles, every ligament, every fiber of your being has been geniusly created by God, and God has given you your body because God is generous. He's generous. Think about your family. Your family has come to you as a gift from God. And I know what some of you are thinking. You mean all, all of them are? And I, yes, all of them. I didn't say they're all easy to get along with. I'm just saying our family is a gift from God. Think about salvation. Think about the fact that you can know God personally. You can know your sins are forgiven. You can know that there is a reserve ticket for you in heaven when you die. That is a gift from God to you and to me. Why? Because God is generous. Is God generous? And to that you would say, is Jesus generous? Is Jesus generous? Well, just listen to this next verse. This is Acts 15, 11. It's not on the screen. We are saved because the master Jesus amazingly and out of sheer generosity moved to save us. Look at this next verse. It is on the screen. This is John 1:16. We all live off of his generous bounty. Now read the rest of it with me everybody. Gift after gift after gift. God is a generous God. Jesus is generous. And here's something that all of us need to know because God is outrageously generous. He wants his children to be generous too. You see, every time that you and I give 
Every time that you and I express generosity in every context of life, God looks at you, he looks at me, he looks at you ladies, and he said, that's my girl. And I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of your giving. I'm proud of your generosity because I am generous and my son is generous. That's my girl. Every time a guy, you know, is generous in how they respond and, and choose to be, chooses to be a, a giver, God says, you know what? You're my boy, and I'm so proud of you. I'm generous, and my son is generous, and I want my children to be generous as well. Just think about it. Don't you want, when you think about those of you that are parents, don't you want your children to be, uh, to be generous and caring? I mean, you don't, if your kids are selfish, and we're all born selfish, I'll come to that in a moment, but when your kids are selfish and they like snatch a toy from another child, you don't walk over to them and say, Johnny, I'm so proud of you. Thank you, son. Dad's always wanted you to be so selfish and egocentric. You've never made dad more proud. No, when that happens, what does it do? It's embarrassing because you want your kids to share. You want your kids to be generous. You want your kids to, to care about people. And God wants his kids to be unselfish and generous too. So in part one of our Christmas series that we begin today, I want to teach you, and this is so important, four things that every person here needs to know about generosity. Four things that everybody here needs to know about generosity. Are you, are you ready? If you're ready, I don't want you to pull a mom on me now. I'm talking two minutes. Mom was gone. I don't want you to, if, if you're with me, just wave your hand like, like that so I, I see have I mentioned to you how great you look in red today? Have I, have I said that? So um, four things that all of us need to know about generosity. Be sure you get them. Number one, generosity causes us to be more like God. Generosity causes us to be more like God. Now, I think you would agree with what I'm about to say. It is becoming increasingly more difficult to be a generous person. Why is that? There's a couple of reasons. One of the reasons why it is becoming more and more difficult to be a generous person is because we live in such a consumer-driven, materialistic, self-centered world. It is what is all around us. We come into contact with this every single day of our lives. And as a result of that, it is awfully difficult to maintain a generous spirit when we're not seeing it put on display all around us. I read this recently. Think about this now. Think about this. There are now more than 30,000 self-storage facilities in our nation. 30, more than 30,000. Do you know, think about this. Did you know that self-storage facilities did not even exist back, back in, the 19, in the 60s, 1960s? They did not even exist. You think about that, 20-something 20, 20 years before I was born. These things, okay, uh, these things did not even, okay, these things did not even exist. But today, 30,000 of them exist with over a billion square feet for people to store their stuff. We now spend, listen to this, annually, we now spend $12 billion dollars. 12, not million, billion dollars a year to pay someone to store our extra stuff, stuff that we don't even have in the house. Our nation spends 12 billion people, our extra stuff, stuff we don't even have room for in our house, 12 billion dollars. It is now larger, you think about this, now larger than the music industry, self-storage facilities. Now, couple that, all right, so we've got that. We live in this consumer-driven, materialistic, self-centered world, so it's hard to be generous the way God wants us to be generous. Now, take that, couple that with the fact that nobody, nobody is born a natural-born giver. God is a giver. We would agree with that. 
Jesus is a giver, but we are all born into this world as takers. We know this, right? We know this. We know, you know, I know that there are basically two types of people in this world. We've got to be clear on this. There are two types of people. There are givers and there are takers. Now, here's our dilemma. We've got this this uh, surrounding, uh, uh, you know, culture, attitude, uh, consumerism that is prevailing on all fronts. It's what we see every day, everywhere that we go. We're surrounded by that. And then you take the fact that we're born into the world as takers, not givers. We're born as takers. Now, here's the good news. If you're born as a taker, which all of us are, you don't have to be a taker the rest of your life. You don't. You can morph into a giver. The good news is if you're a taker right now, and, and to be quite honest with you, it is not very easy to be self-aware about whether or not we're generous or a taker. And a lot of times, you know, basically everybody feels two things. People feel, if somebody says, are you rich? No, absolutely not. I'm not rich. But most of the world, the vast majority of the world would look at you and me and say that we are extremely rich, but nobody thinks they're rich. Nobody thinks they're rich, but everybody thinks they're generous. But we're not all generous. If we're not, the good news is that we can become a generous person. We don't have to be a taker the rest of our lives. We can, we can become a giver. But it's going to have to happen with intentionality. You get to decide, and that's the good news, what kind of person you're going to be. Now, if you decide you're going to be a miser, how many of you know what a miser is? If you decide you want to be a miser, you can be a miser. You just can't. Now, how many of you know that the same root word that is used for miser is also the same word used for what? Miserable. You can be a miser. You can be a miserable person. You can make that decision, or you can say, you know what? I don't want to be miserable. I want to be happy. And you know who the happiest people are in the whole world? It is generous people. And if you are truly a son or daughter of God, then naturally you want to be a generous person. Remember what we're talking about, this first thing about generosity. Generosity causes us to become more like God. Look at this next verse on the screen. Psalm 37, 21 says this, the godly are what? What does it say? The godly are generous givers. You want to be more godly? You want to become more like God? Then become a more generous person. Be a generous giver. 2 Corinthians 9, 13, this is not on the screen, but it spans upon this truth even further by adding this, generosity will prove that you're obedient. Anytime that you and I are generous, then it's proven that we're obedient to God. It's proven that we're becoming more and more like God. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this or not. Uh, Some of you have studied it. Others, after I mention this, you probably will study it to try to debunk what I'm about to tell you, which I invite you to do so, so that you know that what I'm telling you is the truth. But do you know that the Bible says more about generosity and giving than it does about bunch of other subject matters that we would think would be mentioned a whole lot more. For example, let me give you a couple of examples here. The Bible says more about generosity and giving than it does about heaven. Can you believe that? The Bible says more about generosity than it does about hell, the place that all of us want to avoid. Now, how many of you know the Bible speaks about a lot about love? How many of you just wave at me? In fact, the Bible says God is love. And the Bible says a lot about love. 
But do you know that generosity and giving is mentioned more in the Bible than even love? That is mentioned even more than prayer? Now, why is that? Because you and I are never more like God than when we're being generous and when we're being givers. Read this next verse with me, everybody. This is 1 Chronicles 29, 14. Everybody read it with me. Here we go. Everything we have has come from you, and we only give what is yours already. So anything that you and I would ever be generous with, any kind of giving that you and I would ever give, the only reason that we're able to do so is because God, the greatest giver, the most generous person of all, has first given to us. So I ask you again, is God generous? Is Jesus generous? Then how many of you think they want us to be generous too? So generosity causes us to become more like God. Number two, generosity keeps selfishness from taking root in our lives. Generosity will keep selfishness from putting a stranglehold, from taking root in our lives, from suffocating us spiritually. Did you know that materialism and selfishness is like poison to the Christian life? It really is. It's like poison because nothing is more opposed to the heart of God Nothing is more opposed to the spirit of Jesus than selfishness and materialism. And friends, I just want to tell you something that most of you have already discovered. If you have not, you will. And that is that one of the greatest battles that you are ever going to face is going to be in this area of, am I going to be a generous person or not? It's going to be one of your greatest battles that you're ever faced because everything, as I mentioned to you, around you, around me suggests otherwise. And the Bible addresses this prevailing attitude that we constantly deal with that's constantly trying to draw us in. The Bible deals with it. Let's read this next verse together. This is, this is Proverbs 18.1. Everybody, you're doing great, by the way. Read it with me. It's selfishness and stupid to think only of yourself. You just think about you. That's being selfish. It's being, the Bible says it's being stupid. Trust me on this. Life brings with it many opportunities for stupidity. Would you agree? Let me me ask you a question. Come out here where I can see you a little bit. Put my hands up so I can see you. How many of you are still with me, by the way? Have I I mentioned to you how good you look in red? I'm just wondering. All right, let me ask you a question. I'm looking now. How many of you have ever done something really, really stupid? Let me just see your hand. Okay. How many of you are like in my category? You like utter stupidity. You've, you've done so many stupid things, you've lost, you need to raise two hands. All right? I'm still a, How many of you have done something stupid this past week? Just this past week. What about the last 48 hours? I'm, okay. How many of you did something stupid on the way to church today? Just let me... I, I, I don't even want to ask. I, be, I believe you. I don't, I don't need to know the details. But, I mean, you think about it. There are plenty of opportunities to be stupid, but selfishness is at the top of the list. It's selfish. This is the Bible. This is not me. It's stupid and selfish to think only of yourself. But you know what? Don't we think of the exact opposite? People, I see this all the time. How am I going to be happy? The only way I'm going to be happy is I've got to take care of myself. How am I going to be happy? I've got to focus on myself. It's got to be about me. It's got to be about my needs, my wants, my needs, my desires. It's what I want. Therefore, if I'm going to be a happy person, then I've got to think about me. And that's what we think. But the Bible says that is the antithesis of what brings happiness. If you think only about yourself, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be a very unhappy and depressed person. 
If you say, you know what, I'm going to be selfish, I'm going to be stingy, and we don't set out, we don't even communicate in those kind of terms, we just act upon it. If we say, you know what, it's all going to be about me, I'm going to be selfish, stingy, I'm going to be an egocentric Grinch, then here's what's going to happen. You're going to be unhappy, and you're going to be depressed. So what is the antidote to that? What is the antidote to unhappiness and depression? It is being an unselfish and generous person. Let me ask you this question. Who is going to be the most joyful? Is it going to be a Grinch or is it going to be a giver? What do you think? It's always going to be a giver. It's always going to be a giver. Take a look at Proverbs 1.19. Such is the fate of all who are greedy for money. It robs them of what? Life. You say, well, you know, I want to have a, an, an abundant life. I want to have a good life. I want to have a happy life. I want to have a peaceful life. Well, then, you know, you want to avoid greed. You want to avoid selfishness. You don't want that to take root in your life. Such is the fate of all who are greedy for money. It robs them of life. Dave Toykin made this statement, something so insightful when he writes, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Let me say that again. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. And parents, please hear me on this. Please hear me on this. If your kids are going to learn to be generous, you know where they're going to learn it? They're going to learn it from you. They are. They're going to learn it from you. So you're going to have to find ways where you teach your kids. How many of you agree with me on this? Just wave at me. You're going to have to teach your kids how to be generous. They're not going to do that on their own. They're born just the same way we were born. They're born as takers. You see this showing up at the earliest of ages. And if they're going to learn to be generous, you're going to have to teach them. You're going to have to model this for them. They're not going to get it anywhere else but from you as their parents. They're not, how many of you think your kids are going to learn to be generous from hanging out with the friends they hang around with? They're not. Uh, I do not mean this in any way disparagingly on the educational system. Uh, I'm pro-education, as much education, and so this is not a knock on education. But the school system is not set up. It is not the express purpose and design of academic life to teach your kids how to be generous. They're going to have to learn that in the home. They're going to have to learn that from you. How many of you think your kids are going to learn how to be generous by sitting in front of the TV and seeing the messages of TV? (laughs) No, that's materialism. It's not generosity. So if your kids, it's so important that your kids get this lesson. If they don't get it from you, they're not going to get it from anybody. You've got to teach it. You've got to model it. Uh, I, uh, this is quite common that happens um, during the week. I will, I will notice that I've gotten a text from my daughter, and I pick up my phone, and it generally will say something like this when it's somewhere around the lunch hour uh, or just before her text. I'll read it. She'll say, Dad, do you have a lunch appointment today? If I, I, you know, if I text back, no, then I know what's coming next. Where are you going for lunch and what time are you going? Now, I see it from one vantage point, and she sees it, I think, from another. I'm not sure. She's not here to defend herself. She was in the 930 service. Uh, She's not here to defend herself. But when I see that, I look at that, and I say, oh, man. Now, she's a sophomore in college, graduated from VCA, had a great time there working at VCA now. And and so uh, I'll get that text, and I see it, and I I say, man, this is going to give me some wonderful time with my daughter, and I, I look so forward to that. Now, that's my perspective. I, I think, I need to quiz her on this, but I think her perspective is entirely different. I think she's saying, I want a free lunch. 
Hey, if I go and I pay, I'm going to eat here. But if I go with dad and dad pays, we're going to eat here. Hey, by the way, as a result of this morning and celebration of my birthday, I've got a message for my daughter. She is eating at Chick-fil-A every day for the next year. Every day for the next year. That's where she's going. Forget her suggestions. We're going to Chick-fil-A every day for the next 12 months. So we're having lunch one day this week, and, you know, the, the nice waitress came over to the table. She asked a couple of questions. The waitress walks away, and as soon as she walks away, Audrey, Audrey just says, that is so frustrating. And she's talking about herself. I said, what is frustrating? She said, Dad, I keep doing things, and I'm seeing it more and more. I keep doing things that are just like you, and it is so frustrating. I said, frustrating? You ought to consider yourself blessed by God. That's a, that's a good thing. You're becoming like your daddy. It is so frustrating. And notice, you know, I say things and ask questions, and it's just like you. It drives me crazy. So we, we had a good laugh about that. But the reality is, our kids, all the time, are learning from us. And if you and I don't teach our kids or our grandkids how to be generous, chances are they're never going to learn it. They're going to continue the rest of their lives the way that they were born, not as a giver, not but as a taker. So, four things about generosity. Number one, generosity causes us to be more like God. Secondly, generosity keeps selfishness from taking root in our lives. Thirdly, generosity, and you need to hear this, generosity will grow our faith. Without a doubt, giving in generosity is an act of confidence in God. And do you know the number one, one way that God is going to test your faith? Hear me on this now. The number one way that God is going to test your faith is going to be in the area of your finances. It's just going to happen that way. It's just the way life works. You and I are not only going to be in conflict with whether or not we're going to be a generous person or a Grinch, we're also going to fundamentally struggle with this. Am I going to worry about money or am I going to trust God? Am I going to trust His promises? Will I worry when I think about money, when I think about responsibilities and financial regards, am I going to worry about it or am I going to trust God? Now, again, let me, let me ask you a question. Put my hands up. All right, ask you a question. How many of you, how many of you have ever, be honest now, you've ever worried about money in your life, personally, in your home, in your family, in your business, your career. How many of you have ever worried about money at all? Let me just see your hand. And most all of us have. It's going to be the greatest test of our faith, perhaps beyond all others. There's a tremendous statement that I read in a book a few years ago, and I never want to forget it. And I refer to it from time to time, and I brought it for you today. Listen to this statement, and I quote, God knows that if you trust him with your money, it will be so much easier for you to trust him with everything else in your life. And that is true. If you trust God, if I trust God with our money, we will find it easier to trust God with every single thing in our life. It's really quite amazing when you think about it. We trust God for so much. We trust God to save us. We trust God to save us. When you gave your life to Jesus and he became the savior and the leader of your life, how many of you noticed this? God did not send you an email confirmation. You did not get a text message saying congratulations. You accept the finished work of Jesus on the cross. You accept it how? You accept it by faith. 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we accept salvation by faith. We accept the forgiveness of sins by, by faith. In fact, you know what I found among most of us? We find it easier to forgive, to, to believe that God has forgiven us than we have to forgive ourselves. Easier to believe that God has given us, forgiven us than it is for us to forgive ourselves. But you know what we do? We have faith that God has saved us. We have faith that God has forgiven us of our sins. We have faith that one day God is going to take us home to heaven. We have faith in these things, but how is it that we can have faith for all of those things, but we can lack faith when it comes to generosity and giving? Listen to this verse. It's not on the screen. This is 2 Corinthians 9, 13. It is proof of your faith. Listen, what is proof of your faith? It is proof of your faith, and then it adds a caveat. Many people will praise God because you obey the good news of Christ, the gospel you say you believe, believe faith, and because you freely share with them and with all others. You know what being a generous person does? You know what being a giver does? It actually, actually causes your faith to grow. You're going to be tested in your finances more so than in any other area of your life, and the more that you're generous... The more you become like God, the more you do not allow selfishness to take root in your life, the more it's going to cause your faith to expand. A lot of you know that I spent this past Thanksgiving in, uh, up in Illinois. And, and I did it, you know, because my son and daughter-in-law is there. Primarily, I did it because of Kinley and Landry, three and one. And I, they're just so incredible. And so we went there for Thanksgiving. Uh, I know that my friend, Dr. Alan Ehler, is here in this service and I know and I've heard that he did an amazing job here last week, and, and I appreciate that so much. And that gave us, sure, give Alan a hand. And it gave us an opportunity to spend Thanksgiving for the first time right in the middle of the cornfields of Illinois. I mean, and it was cold, friends. How many of you know this? How, how many of you know Illinois gets cold? Illinois gets cold. Illinois gets so cold, I do not believe that it is God's will for anybody to live in Illinois. <laughs> now, I said that. I, I literally said it. I said that just the way I said it, probably word for word in the 930 service. I said, you know, having fun, of course, I don't believe God would ever want anybody to live in Illinois. I, I got through final prayer. I walked out, headed back to the back. I was greeted by two people I've never seen in my life. They gave me their names, and they said, and we're from Illinois. All right. So maybe it's God's will for people to live in Illinois, but it's still cold. It's still very cold. But I'm just telling you, while I was there, I've never seen so many tractors and combines and farm equipment and open space in my entire life. I've lived in Atlanta, Georgia, and I've lived in Central Florida. And to me, I just thought there was nowhere open space for any human being to live in America. But I'm telling you, there's plenty, plenty of room for people in Central Illinois. It's not harvest time. In fact, harvest just happened, and you just see... I mean, just open space forever, all these cornfields. And the uh, reason I mention that is Nicole, our daughter-in-law, her, her dad is a farmer. And I, I got to thinking about it while I was working on this talk, that farming, when you really think about it, is a faith profession. That's true for Craig Roth. You know Craig Roth. He's just up here looking great in his Georgia Bulldog shirt. And, and Craig is a great guy. And Craig owns and operates Sunshine Growers, grows some of the most incredible poinsettias I've ever seen in my life. 
some of the most flowers and stuff. You've probably bought them in big stores and didn't not even know that they came from Craig's business, from Sunshine Growers. I, I was having a little fun with Craig, and I was telling him before the first service what I was speaking on, and I said, Craig, let me just ask you a question. I said, is it true that you only, you're only able to harvest the amount of poinsettias that you plant for? And he said, that's right. I said, you're telling me the others don't just mysteriously appear. He said, no, they don't. We got to plant, we got we to make it happen. We got to plant and trust the harvest. So while I was talking to my son's father-in-law, Nicole's dad, who's a farmer in Illinois, I said to him, I said, how much corn do you plant? And, and he said to this, this is a lot of corn to me. I, I, I don't know. He said, I plant 1,000 acres of corn. That's a lot of corn. Would you not agree? Hey, if you like corn on the cob, have at it. But I said, 1,000 acres. He said, that's right. Farming is a faith profession in this regard. What if he said, or any farmer or a guy like Craig said, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a Grinch. I'm going to be a Scrooge. I don't really trust in the law of the harvest. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be hesitant to plant any seed. And so in Les's case, if he just said, well, I'm, I'm only going to plant, my faith causes me only to be willing to plant 50 acres of, of corn, would it not be utter foolishness during harvest to drive around on the other 950 acres and expect there to be corn. It's not going to happen. How many of you know you can only harvest what you plant? You can only harvest what you plant. There's a great verse that connects this with generosity and giving, and it's found right here in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Look at it with me. Here it is. Remember this. Whoever sows how? Sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows how? generously will also reap. So you sow seed sparingly, guess what kind of harvest you're going to get? You're going to get a meager harvest. You sow generously, you're going to reap. This is the Bible. This is not theory. This is God. You're going to reap generously. Now, this leads us to the fourth and final truth concerning generosity. Generosity causes us to become more like God. Generosity will keep selfishness from taking root in our life. Generosity will grow our faith. Lastly, generosity causes our lives to be blessed by God. Are you aware of that reality? Are you aware of this reality? Let me just say, and it's true for every one of you, do you know? And if you don't, I want you to know that God wants to bless your life. God wants to bless your life. He really does. Now, does he just do it haphazardly? Does he do it, you know, like indiscriminately? Does God just, you know, uh, say, hey, I'm Santa Claus and I want to bless all the little children? No, that is not the way it works. God wants to bless your life and you need to be convinced that God wants to bless your life. But God wants to bless your life and it's tethered to this. Are you going to do it his way? Are you going to follow his commands? Are you going to follow his promises? If you are, then this will certainly happen. Should we believe that? Absolutely, we should believe it. Why? Because it's not my idea. It's not a world's idea. It's not a theory. This is the promise of God that is taught in the Bible. And there are scores of verses on this, but I'm only going to mention four. The first one is this one. You're going to see it right here on the screen. This is Deuteronomy 15.10. Deuteronomy 15.10 says this, give how? Give generously to him. To him, in this context, is to the poor, to somebody in need. Give generously to him and do so without what kind of heart? A grudging heart. Don't be a Grinch. Don't be a Scrooge. Don't be egocentric. Don't be selfish. Give generously to those in need without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will do what? He will 
bless you in all your work. How many of you want the blessing of God upon your work? How many of you want the blessing of God upon your business, upon your life? You want God to bless you? Then give generously without a grudging heart, and God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. Psalm 112.5. It's not on the screen, but it says good will come to the person who is generous. Proverbs 11.24. Look at this. Look at Proverbs 11.24. Give freely. We can insert the word generously. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy. Be a miser. Be selfish. Be a Scrooge. Be a Grinch. And guess what happens? You lose everything. It goes back to the law of harvest. You sow sparingly. Guess what you reap? You plant for 50 acres of corn. You're not going to get a thousand. You're going to get 50 acres of corn. You sow generously. Guess what? You're going to reap generously. It's the promise of God, but it is conditional. Look at this next verse, Proverbs eleven twenty five. Read this one with me. Everybody, read it with me. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Now, we're getting ready to wrap up, and I know you're highly disappointed by that. You'd much rather, I, I know, I, I know. It's my birthday. You'd much rather I go on an hour or so. I, I okay, maybe not. But as we wrap up, I want to just mention this to you. Should this be our motivation for giving and generosity, that we're going to be blessed by God? No. That shouldn't be our motivation. Our motivation should be because it's the right thing to do, because generosity grows our faith, because it breaks the shackles of greed and selfishness in our life, and generosity causes us to be more like God. That's why we ought to be generous. But having said that, I must also tell you, it is impossible for you to outgive God. You just can't. It is utterly, completely impossible for you to outgive God. You give, you become a generous person, and God keeps on blessing. Do you know who God wants to bless? God wants to bless the people that He can trust. If God looks at your life and my life and everything that we have, you know what we want to do? We want to get all we can. And we want to put it in a can and we want to sit on the can and not share with anybody and not be a giver or be a taker in life. You know what? God looks at a person like that and says, I can't trust you. Why would I want to bless somebody like you? Because it's all about you. But a generous person, a happy person, a non-depressed person who just finds joy in being a giver and not a taker says, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a giver. I'm not going to be a Grinch. I'm not going to be a Scrooge. And you give, and you become more and more generous. And God says, you know what? As I said earlier, that's my girl. That's my guy. You're becoming more like me. And God says, you know what? I can bless somebody like you because it's not all about you. And God keeps blessing and blessing and blessing because God knows you're a generous person. You have a generous spirit. And that's the spirit of Christmas. The spirit of Christmas is a spirit of generosity. And God blesses you more and more because God can trust you. It's like God says, you know what? You want to play this game? Let's play it. Good. Go for it. You give to me. I'll give to you. You keep giving. I'll keep giving. And then let's see who wins. And God will always win. Generosity does not doesn't give to receive, but generosity, hear me on this, will always be rewarded by God. Now, we're almost done. And I'm not kidding about that. We're almost done. 
But I don't want you to leave this place without understanding this. I can emphatically tell you that God wants you to be a giver. I can emphatically tell you that God wants you to be a generous person. I can tell you that God wants to bless your life. And generosity should not just be reserved for the Christmas season. Look at these last two verses. I'll read them real quick. God will increase what you have so that you can do what? Give even more. God increases what you have for you. No, so you can give even more to those in need. You're going to be blessed in every way, and you'll be able to keep on being generous. God blesses you so you can keep on being a blessing. And again, this should not just be for the Christmas season. Why don't you make a determination today that you're going to be generous, that you're going to be generous in your compliments? How many of you know that we live in a cynical, criticizing world? Don't worry. Don't worry about giving too much compliments. There's always going to be enough critics and complainers. Just make a determination today. You're going to be generous with your compliments. You're going to be generous with your praise. You're going to worship God like you've never worshiped God before. You're going to be generous to the poor. You're going to be generous in your love. You're going to serve. You'll look for opportunities even this season, but beyond this season to serve. Generous in compassion, generous in kindness. And would you just go ahead and decide today before we pray this final prayer that you're going to be generous with God. Do I need to remind you Whose birthday Christmas is? Christmas is whose birthday? It's Jesus' birthday. And why wouldn't you want to give something to the birthday boy? Why wouldn't you want to give some, something to the person whose birthday is Christmas? You know, to not give to Jesus at Christmas would be like going to a birthday party and giving to everybody else at the birthday party except the person whose birthday it really was. So what can we give to God? I'll tell you what we can give to God, and I hope you'll nail this down. You can make a determination that starting today, throughout the Christmas season, and on into, can you believe it, 2017, that you're going to give God, listen, the first part of your day, that before you get busy, before you have so many things going on, before there's so many activities and events and meetings and phone calls and details, that you're going to give God the first part of your day, that before you get busy, you're going to take time and you're going to get into God's Word. And you're going to read and you're going to let God speak to you. And you're going to pray. And you're going to talk to God. You're going to communicate with God. You know what you could give to God? The first part of your day. You know what I want to challenge you to give to God? Give to God the first part of your week. And that's Sunday. The first day of the week. And that you'll become more serious about church and Sunday than you've ever been before. You're not going to just, you know, haphazardly. Well, if I don't have something else going on or, uh, you know, I stayed up too late. You know, give God the first part of your week. Go ahead and determine right now you're going to give God his day. His day is Sunday. What could you give God? You could give God the first part of your income. First part of your day, first part of your week, first part of your income. And the Bible calls that tithing. And you just get in that that rhythm of being faithful with the tithe that God blesses you with, and God's going to keep blessing you. Why? Because God can trust you. God, this is yours. The tithe is yours. You know what you could give to God? You could give to God, and I hope you will if you've never done this before. You could give God your heart. God gave his best when he gifted Jesus to the world. What could you give Jesus? You could give him your heart. Would you stand with me for a closing prayer? Everybody. Would you bow your heads and would you just right there in your heart, in your mind, pray this prayer. Dear God in heaven, I don't want to spend my life being a taker. I'm born that way, but I don't want to remain that way. I want to be generous. I want to be a giver. And I know that when I'm generous, it proves that I belong to you. I become more and more like you, the more generous I am. 
God, I know that when I become a generous person, when generosity exudes from my life, it breaks selfishness and greed and materialism. I know, God, that when I give, it expands my faith. I've got to trust you that when I give away, you're going to meet my needs. And God, I thank you that generosity causes you to bless my life. And I believe that you really do want to bless me if I do it your way and follow your commands and look to your promises. And then those of you in this room would say, God, I know what I need to give you. I need to give you my heart. I've not done that before. I know that Jesus, that God gave you to the world and you gave your life for me. You went to a cross. Thank you for doing that. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Help me to live the Christian life and help me to know that there's a place for me in heaven, a reserved place for me in heaven when I die. Empower me to be what you want me to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for being here. Thank you for remembering my birthday. I love you all so much. And don't miss whatever you do. Don't miss next Sunday. See you then. God bless you, everybody.